welcome to Anchored by Truth, brought to you by Crystal Sea Books. In John 14.6, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Our goal is to encourage everyone to grow in the Christian faith by anchoring themselves to the secure truth found in the inspired, inerrant, and infallible Word of God. The people heard that Jesus had come home. Some men came, bringing to him a paralyzed man, carried by four of them. Since they could not get him to Jesus because of the crowd, they made an opening in the roof above Jesus by digging through it, and then lowered the mat the man was lying on. When Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralyzed man, Son, your sins are forgiven. The Gospel of Mark, chapter 2, verses 2 through 5, New International Version. Hello, welcome back to Anchored by Truth, brought to you by Crystal Sea Books. I'm Victoria Kay, and today we're going to continue a series we call A Miraculous Christ. We started the series a couple of episodes ago, and this is a special series for us because we are featuring Jay Ammerman. Jay has an inspirational story that everyone should hear. After being an Army combat medic and enduring three deployments from the frontline infantry, Jay came home and began working in a hospital. Unfortunately, Jay also returned from combat with an addiction to opiate painkillers. But our God is a God of healing and deliverance, and God delivered Jay from that addiction. That delivery began a journey that led Jay to ultimately enter the New Orleans Baptist Theological Seminary, from which he will shortly graduate. Jay's life road has included its share of bends and curves, but Jesus has been with him for all of them. Jay's faith in Christ has grown so steadily that he has now been called by the Lord to full-time service. So let's welcome Jay Ammerman, the owner of Black Thumb Services, to Anchored by Truth. Jay, your story is remarkable, but the one constant throughout has been the presence of Christ. That's why when we met you, we thought so many people needed to hear it and hear about your passion to serve the Lord in whatever way He calls. When you told us that you would really like to help people think more deeply about the miracles Christ performed during His earthly ministry, it seemed like a good idea to get your episode started by playing one of our life lessons with a laugh on the miracles of Christ. So, let's listen to one of those. This one has to do with how Jesus responded to the loyalty of four very faithful friends. Give me the hammer. Attention, Crystal Sea staff. Jerry, to the recording room. Jerry, to the recording room. Emergency, emergency. This is not a drill. Be right, be right. Be right, what's the problem? Why did you want me to... Whoa! Oh, R.D., R.D., what are you doing? What is all this construction stuff? And why all the people? And why is Miracle Mitch here again? Oh, you're a bit premature, Curious Jay. We're not due to record the next life lesson on the miracles of Jesus for another three hours or so. Lots to do, lots to do. Now you can see why I summoned you, Curious Jay. I think you mean Curious Jerry. Whatever. Hmm? 
The point is, R.D. still wants to do a life lesson on Mark chapter 2, verses 2 through 12. You know the story where the paralyzed man was brought to Jesus on a mat by four of his friends so Jesus would heal him. Oh, no! I thought we had talked him out of that. Apparently not. Hang on, you two. Miracle Mitch! Awesome. And I are just working out the final details on this pulley system. Be right, since you and Curious Jay obviously don't want to wait, why don't you go ahead and give us verses 3 and 4? And they came, bringing to Jesus a paralytic carried by four men. And when they could not get near him because of the crowd, they removed the roof above him. And when they made an opening, they let down the bed on which the paralytic lay. R.D., you cannot remove the ceiling and roof over the recording room. We already talked about this. Well, not the whole roof, no. Mitch and I got to talking, and he drew up a sketch about how we could just cut a hole in the roof. Uh, maybe turn it into a skylight. What does Miracle Mitch know about skylights? I thought he was a gardener, famous for growing scuppernongs as big as sweet potatoes. Gardening's my hobby. I'm actually an interior designer. Mitch's slogan is, We make homely handsome and gruesome grandsome. Making homely handsome and gruesome grandsome. It's gonna call for ransom for your new home. Hmm. Oh, boy. Anyway... After Mitch helped us with the life lesson on Jesus turning water into wine, we got to talking about grapes. Got currants as big as kiwis. And Mitch's love of indoor-outdoor spaces. And I said, that reminded me of the story of the paralytic in Mark. And that led R.D. to propose the idea to you and me that we should do a life lesson on Jesus curing the paralyzed man who was lowered through the roof. Yes, but I thought we had all agreed that removing the roof on the building was a bit extreme. Right. That's why Mitch came up with the skylight idea. So that's what's going on with all this construction? It looks like you're building an elevator for the Eiffel Tower. This is the frame for the cables and pulleys, so when we lower you on the mat, we don't drop you. Or tip it over. <laughs> what? Lower me? Uh-uh. I don't think so. It would take a miracle to get me to agree to that. Well, we can't very well lower B right. And someone has to operate the controls. And you definitely want me backing up RD on the controls. And then someone has to give the Jesus quotes. Oh, but that's not a problem. B right can do that now. Be right. When the paralyzed man was lowered, what did Jesus say? Son, your sins are forgiven. And when the doubters started questioning whether Jesus could forgive sins, well, what did Jesus say then? Why do you question these things in your hearts? Which is easier, to say to the paralytic, your sins are forgiven, or to say, rise, take up your bed and walk? But that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins, he said to the paralytic, I say to you, rise, pick up your bed, and go home. 
And the paralyzed man did pick up his bed and walk. So, are we good? Well, we just need everyone to notice that Jesus not only had control over the elements in nature, like when he turned water into wine, and control over the forces of nature, like when he calmed the sea, but Jesus also has power over sin and judgment. And since only God has the power to forgive sins, the fact that Jesus could do so proves Jesus is God. Duly noted. Now, can we leave the ceiling and roof alone, please? Well, I had more drama planned. You usually do, Artie. I'll get it. Bad news, R.D. Good news, Curious Jerry. The insurance company won't approve the roof removal and the vertical hoist. Aw, finally, someone with some sense. Did he say why? He gave a very biblical answer. Proverbs 22.3 A prudent person foresees danger and takes precautions. The simpleton goes blindly on and suffers the consequences. Hey! Was he saying I'm a simpleton? No, Artie. <laughs> no, Absolutely no, nothing not. like that, Artie. No. Well, no. maybe. I'm sure he was just concerned about our safety, Artie. Well, then, what are we going to do with all this framing and cables? Make a good frame for my new muscadines. I'll have muscadines as big as melons. Good thing you told me to get everything extra sturdy. Extra sturdy? Why did you think that was necessary? Hmm? I'm sure he was just concerned about your safety, Curious Jerry. Yeah, right. Well, I'm going to lunch. I'll see you. When you order, don't think about being extra sturdy. But a fruit salad is a good lunch. Well, that's it from Jeremy. Oh, and it's still Jerry. Sure, still Jerry. Sure. Me R.D and the whole Crystal Sea construction crew for today. If you'd like to hear more, try out crystalseabooks.com where We're not perfect, but our boss is. Well, Jay, it's hard to know what wild things are going to take place in one of our life lessons with a laugh. So what are some of the lessons that we can take away from Jesus healing the paralyzed man whose friends literally went through the roof for him? That was another wonderful life lesson. I love how they always kind of make it fun and exciting, these miracles of Jesus. And I wanted to dig in a little deeper here on Mark 2 and kind of look at what this miracle means and what it has to say about who we are and things like that. So the first thing I want to kind of address before we get into the exegetical issues here in Mark chapter 2, verses 1 through 12 is the historical and contextual criticism that you might would look at to determine why you believe this is accurate information in the first place. It's because this narrative happens to be in multiple resources. So the story of Jesus healing this paralyzed man is not found only in the Gospel of Mark, but also in the other synoptic Gospels like Matthew and Luke. And the fact that multiple accounts exist from different perspectives does lend support to the historical credibility of the event. You know, if one person writes about something happening, it may have happened, may have not. When you have multiple people from multiple directions writing about it, the likeliness is it's a real event. The accuracy of the Bible is crucial. We believe that this is a sacred 
inspired text by God. And so before we get deep into the text, I want to look at some of the reasons why we have faith in the Bible itself. Another point here in the introductory information is the earliness of the manuscript of the Gospel of Mark. All evidence shows that the Gospel of Mark was written within a few decades of all the events that it describes. Early manuscripts provide a closer connection with the time of the events and therefore increase the likeliness of the accurate transmission of the information. They provide valuable evidence for the historical accuracy in the transmission of the text. Scholars believe that the Gospel of Mark was written between 65 and 70 AD. We're talking about within 30 years of Christ on the cross, Mark has compiled and written his book, and then we have evidence of that. The dating here is based on several factors, including references to the destruction of the Jerusalem temple and the absence of certain events that took place after that time, which occurred around 70 AD. So the gospel would predate that event. Of course, it is crucial for us to know that we have manuscripts. These are handwritten copies of ancient texts. We don't have the original words, but we have very ancient copies of these, and they all concur with each other. So we have this coherent truth that we have mentioned in a previous episode. So, we have very good early manuscript evidence that supports the historical accuracy of this miracle that Mark describes. But even beyond the fact that the manuscript evidence supports the historicity, there is other compelling evidence, isn't there? So we have multiple sources, we have it in early manuscripts, but we also have in this specific narrative in Mark, a lot of what we would call cultural context that comes into play. And it doesn't seem like that at first, maybe you don't see it, but I'm going to help us get there. The accounts in the Gospels include these specific details that are accurate to the culture and religious and historical context of the time. For one, the fact that Jesus as a religious figure is healing. He's supposed to be the Messiah. And he's doing this healing, and healing by a religious figure was expected, was something that should be done according to the Jewish scriptures. It contained the prophecies and descriptions of a future messianic figure who would bring about deliverance, restoration, and the establishment of God's kingdom on earth. Um, These prophecies often included references to extraordinary acts, signs, wonders associated with the coming of the Messiah. So it makes sense from a cultural context point of view that you have this religious leader, because they were looking forward to his arrival, doing these amazing things. So one kind of example that they were looking for was the prophet Isaiah, which the Essenes had really popularized Isaiah. We found in Qumran the oldest text of Isaiah, complete text, and it predates our oldest one before by a very long time. And Isaiah prophesied this about the Messiah. Then in Isaiah chapter 35, verses 5 and 6, Then the eyes of the blind shall be opened, and the ears of the deaf unstopped. Then shall the lame man leap like a deer, and the tongue of the mute sing for joy. Jesus was doing in the place and time what who Jesus is should be doing in that place and time, so it fits very well within the cultural expectations of the time. God's prophets are often shown to be real by God through the act of miracles. Miracles are seen as acts of divine intervention, and so they are associated with the prophets. Jesus' healing associates him, at a minimum, a Jewish prophet. 
The Jewish scriptures contained lots of prophecies and depictions and descriptions of a future messianic figure who would bring about deliverance and restoration and the establishment of God's kingdom on earth. And these prophecies often included references to extraordinary acts and signs and wonders associated with the coming of the Messiah. So Jesus was doing exactly what they were expecting him to do at this point, even if they didn't realize they should be expecting him to do it. What you're saying is that the Jews of Jesus' day should have been able to put two and two together and get four. They had scriptures going back hundreds of years that said that the coming Messiah would be a miracle-working figure and that he would perform miraculous healings. So, when Jesus began healing people, that should have been a big clue as to who he was. But you also say that the geographic setting of this miracle is also important, isn't it? This story takes place in the town of Capernaum, most likely at Peter's house, which is a couple doors down. Literally, there's one house between his house and the synagogue of the village. Why is Capernaum significant as a town? Because Capernaum rests on the major trade routes going north and south and east to Asia. So it goes north to Europe, south to Africa, and east to Asia. The main roads that you would use at that time pass right through Capernaum. Not to mention, Capernaum also has the major port on the Sea of Galilee during this time. So this is kind of, for lack of a better term, the major economic and trade hub of a lot of the world because of the trade routes going through there. So if you want to set up a place to spread a message across the world, Capernaum is the place to do it. There would have been a lot of important and unimportant people, just a lot of people coming to and through Capernaum. So Jesus performed a very notable miracle in a place where the word of the miracle was bound to spread quickly. As you said, a lot of people were coming and going from Capernaum. And just like today, people like nothing more than to pass news. So the people passing through would have heard the story and they would have carried it with them to their next stop. Well, when did this miracle take place within the context of Jesus' public ministry? This event takes place, we know, early in Jesus' ministry. It is situated in all the Gospels just prior to the calling of Matthew, or Levi as he is called. And so we know that as Matthew, of course, was with Jesus for most of his ministry, we know that this was really early. Um, Within days, most likely, of him calling the first disciples, this is early in his ministry. It does set the stage for Jesus' entire ministry. I mean, he's beginning to do the great works and to forgive sins, which is what he came for, was for the forgiveness of sins and healing of the broken. So Jesus performed a very notable miracle in a place where the word of the miracle was bound to spread quickly, and he performed it early during his ministry. This really helped establish the basis of his ministry, which was going to be necessary as Jesus sought to help his disciples build their faith. How do we see that? Let's look at what's called exegetical points, which is what we as believers or non-believers that are seeking can take from this narrative and apply to our lives. And the first is that the role of faith is integral upon coming to Jesus. It is necessary. The role of faith in this story is huge. The role of community is huge. We need to look at those two together. In this story in the Bible, there's really two main characters, which is Jesus and the crowd. Now, the crowd will be divided into three sub-characters of seekers, skeptics, and spectators. The seekers in this story are the people that we see bringing their friend 
to Jesus. They are actively coming there to find Christ. The spectators in this story are the crowd. They're the people that would be just interested. Maybe they're curious about this Jesus guy. Maybe they heard some of the miracles he did and they're hoping to see something amazing or hear something amazing. They're just consumers. They would be like the ones that would come to church just because they like the music. They don't really want anything other than just to see the show. The skeptics in this story are the ones that seem like the self-righteous, the Pharisees and the scribes of the law. They are the ones that would be the religious elite of the day who thought that maybe they knew the best way instead of God knowing the best way. Kind of a social hierarchy established where you have the scribes and the Pharisees. They were literate individuals who held positions of authority and were well-versed in Jewish law. The presence of the Pharisees, who were known for their strict adherence to religious practices, suggests that Jesus' actions were being observed and questioned by those in authority. And it was the audacity of Jesus to forgive sins. They saw that as a much greater threat to them than was the good of the miracle of a paralyzed man walking. And even the greater good that now this man Jesus, who is God, can forgive sins. See, the opportunity was really wasted for them. Instead of seeing for what it was, they just attacked and saw him as a threat. So the crowd contained seekers, skeptics, and spectators. That's pretty similar to what we see all around us today. What do you see as being the big problem of the skeptics? They don't believe in Jesus. They simply do not believe in God right in front of them. They see the living God with their own eyes, but spiritually they are dead. They have no spiritual sight, and they just walk right by them. If anything, they scold. Man, do you know what that's going to be like when they got to face him? They got onto him and, what's up? I mean, holy cow, that's going to be a scary day. But thankfully, there weren't just skeptics present that day. I mean, the paralyzed man certainly had friends who seemed to believe in Jesus. Who has? Four good friends that are willing to pick you up and carry you to a house just to hear some preaching. This is wonderful. I mean, I can't even get four friends to help me move my sofa. This guy must have been an okay dude because he's got four people who are willing to pick him up and carry him to this house just to hear Jesus preach because that's what he was doing. He wasn't healing at this moment. It wasn't like he was holding a healing clinic. If we look back at the beginning of the verse, it says that he was there sharing the word. And there's so many people gathered around to hear it that they couldn't get there. And so they just said, you know, there's an obstacle between me and Jesus. Sorry about your luck, bro. We're going to drop you off. We're going home. This is too much work. No, that's not what happened. These friends, whom are dedicated friends, loving friends, friends that have some semblance of faith, they look for a way to solve the problem. And so they decide to go up on the roof. Now, this kind of speaks to the architecture of the day. Most of those buildings are going to be single story. A lot of times in the Middle East, especially, I saw this when I was in Baghdad a lot, people would go up to the roof at night and sleep because it's cooler in the night and the stars are just amazing. But they would go up there. So most of those roofs would have access. And it was the same thing then. The buildings themselves weren't made of stone. They weren't made of shingles and plywood where these guys couldn't get in there. They were made of thatch or clay. 
And so the idea of getting access to a roof, this crazy kind of scenario, actually speaks to the authenticity of the story. That they could get up on top of this roof, that they could dig in to the roof. Although the fact that they did it is more a sign of authenticity of their faith. So the friends' faith in God led them to overcome the obstacles that were in their way. What other observations do you think are important from Jesus healing the paralyzed man? Why is the story so significant? The primary reason the story is so significant is because we learn in it that Jesus has the authority to forgive sins. Of course, he says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. We know that he is the one. Jesus has the authority now, then, tomorrow, forever, and beyond time has been and will always be the only way to seek and get forgiveness of sin because it's against him only that we can actually sin. Well, you've made some really powerful points here today, Jay. But the most important one is that Jesus has authority to forgive our sins, and he is eager to do so if we will only acknowledge those sins and acknowledge that we want him to be our Savior. We'd really like to thank Jay Ammerman for being our guest on Anchored by Truth today. As we've said, Jay's life after his conversion is a great illustration of how Jesus continues to redeem destinies in our day and time. The Bible has been instrumental in changing Jay's destiny, and it can be instrumental in changing your destiny and the destiny of your friends. Today, for our closing prayer, let's listen to a prayer for our friends. We should all spend time every day in intercessory prayer for our friends, both inside and outside the church. And if we have friends who have not yielded their lives to Christ, we must also pray for that time to come in their lives. A Prayer for Friends Heavenly Lord and Holy Father, we bless you and exalt you as we bow down before you. We are grateful that we can come into your presence and find a willing and loving master. You are the one who framed the mountains and carved out the oceans. How much more then can you assist your children? Lord, we thank you for the blessings of having friends. We believe that it is you who brings people into our lives who are a source of joy and fulfillment to us. We pray that you would help us to provide the same blessings to others. We thank you that you have helped us to meet people who help us to go beyond ourselves. Friends whose hearts are loving and generous toward us and who have steadfast spirits that keep them with us even during the difficult times. We pray that you would bless our friends with health, strength, and prosperity. We ask that you would look into the deepest recesses of their hearts as only you can and find the secret hopes and dreams there. As it conforms to your will, fulfill their desires and bring them more completely into your presence. Seek out those who do not yet embrace your name and your Son and bring them into communion with you. Let them know that only friendships grounded in you will last for eternity and that joy unspeakable awaits those who put on Christ and then fellowship in His kingdom. Help us to be sensitive to the dings and dents of life that afflict others. 
and help us to speak kind and encouraging words, especially when troubles are weighing them down. Help us to take action where such action will relieve pain or provide comfort. But help us also to know the boundaries that we should not cross. As Christ did, let us build relationships among the people we treasure and help us always to seek the good of others, even when we must set some of our own desires aside. It is your good pleasure to provide good gifts to us all and it is impossible that we should ever bless others without being blessed by you. Bring harmony and peace to our relationships. Help us for our part to not injure or grieve others. Help us to be peacemakers using the example that your Son gave to us. Forgive us and help us to forgive others that all will know that we are the possession of your Son in Christ's name we pray and offer praise. Amen. Amen. Is the Bible important in your life? Supporting Anchored by Truth with a contribution is an easy way to put your faith into action. The opportunity to help is available at crystalseabooks.com. How wonderful would it be for Jesus to commend us because we made His Word a priority in our lives and giving. We are grateful for your support and partnership. We hope you'll be with us next time, and we hope you'll take some time to encourage friends to tune in also, or to listen to the podcast version of this show. If you'd like to hear more, try out crystalseabooks.com where We're not perfect, but our boss is. And for those of you who need that website one more time, that's crystalcbooks.com. Crystal, C-R-Y-S-T-A-L-C-S-E-A, and books, B-O-O-K-S.com. Thank you for your support.